Welcome to Methods and Sound Presents Moving On, a five-part mini-series on the films we loved that now make us cringe. My name is Christopher Ratcliffe, one of the founders and writers of Methods and Sound, a semi-dormant pop culture website that we've decided to resurrect for this period of extended quarantine. Joining me via a mess of online platforms, laptops, microphones and internet connections of various quality are four other members of the Methods and Sound team. Uh, firstly, we have Catherine Thompson. Hi, Catherine. Hi. Was I supposed to prepare a bit because I did not No, it, no. You I'm just Gavin, have to say hi. I used to write for Methods Unsound. Hi. <laughs> yeah, okay, cool. I'm Catherine. Uh, Catherine, what's the best thing you've watched in the last uh, three weeks of quarantine? Ooh, good question. I recently watched a Channel 4 comedy called Feel Good. It was like a six-part comedy with a Canadian um, comedian, and it really made me laugh, and I recommend it. So is it a British thing or a Canadian thing? Uh, it's British. It's, it's set in Britain. I should look this up. Set in Britain, but uh, written by uh, May something. He's a Canadian comedian and uh, also has Lisa Kudrow, who's fast becoming my favourite comedian parent in films, off the back <laughs> of Booksmart and this comedy. And it's just kind of about a lesbian comedian trying to like get on with life, ex-addict. It really made me laugh, so... I believe Canadian comedians prefer to be called Canadians. Good. Ted! <laughs> Hi. What's the uh, best thing you've watched in uh, your quarantine period? Hi, 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 Chris. Oh, hi, everybody. Uh, so the fav- my favourite thing I've been watching in quarantine is uh, Devs, which is the new Alex Garland series that's on Hulu, produced by FX. And it's got Nick Offerman in it, and it's kind of that, it, that weird Alex Garland esoteric sci-fi stuff where uh, he's he's dealing with some massive themes in this uh, this this kind of like Facebook esque tech company, and but it's it's dealing with the you know do we have free will? Uh, is everything predetermined? But it's all wrapped up in this kind of murder mystery layer as well. It's it's well worth watching, and it looks sexy as hell. All right, and then also we have Joachim Funken. Hi, Joe. Hello. How are you doing? I'm all right, thank you. So, oh, you. Yeah, you're the first person been... to ask me that. That's nice. Uh, what's the best thing you've watched this last uh, during your quarantine time? Uh, well, I've been a bit spoiled for choice. I went out and bought all of the streaming services I could possibly get my hand on, and now I'm like, <laughs> paralysed with choice. So um, I've been watching Bob's Burgers a lot. And I've just watched the best episode ever, which is the Equestrian Ops one. Joe, have you been watching the the menu screens for all of the various streaming services you have? Because that's what I've been doing. Yeah. Just <laughs> comparing menu screens, yeah. Well, it's, yeah, um, co- comparing and just paralysed was absolute ultimate choice. Too much I I had half an hour allotted TV time the other evening and I just spent it going, oh, what's on Disney Plus? <laughs> and uh, I found Air Bud and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and then I went to bed. <laughs> I was... I was, I was... I was about to say this is this is this is a this is a, com- uh, a completely non-sponsored thing. But what's great for not scrolling through hours and hours and hours of menu screens is Mubi. I don't know if anyone has that. Oh but yeah, it's kind of like a curated streaming service. So they just drop, I think, what's like eight to ten films, and you you don't have that much choice. It's you're watching what's on there or you're not. So yeah. Well, don't you have like the nineteen? Don't they just have like? Don't they have like thirty films that you? <laughs> then they drop one off every day and then add one every day is that not right yeah it's yeah something like that yeah yeah but it i mean it's it's great for not just spending hours looking for something to watch yeah all a bit arty though uh teddy what if part of what i enjoy is scrolling 
trying to decide what to watch. <laughs> Well, I can't help you with that, Catherine. <laughs> uh, you'll find the all-scrolling channel on uh, Roku. Sounds like my favourite channel. I, uh, what I'm really enjoying about this is how every joke I've made has landed with, I'm going to say, an eon of silence. <laughs> <laughs> it take, takes me at least two minutes to unmute my mic to be able to respond to it. I've already finished laughing by the time I've unmuted my mic. <laughs> Shall we uh, introduce Matt Owen, <laughs> finally, who's already been talking all the way through? That's one of the bits of housekeeping that we Worth should have said. Wait, no. You're not you're not allowed to talk until you've actually been introduced. <laughs> but fuck it. Uh, Matt, tell us what you've been pouring into your eyeballs. <laughs> uh, I've got Disney Plus as well. Um, the menu screen is the best bit. I like all the stuff about may contain outdated cultural references. Oh, <laughs> yeah, in, those are good, in those ancient they? Disney Kurt Russell films, you know. Um, yeah. I watched I watched the Odessa file. Have you ever seen that with John Voight? Um, that, not on Disney uh, Plus. <laughs> there aren't. No, it's, it's, surprising say, it's got uh, it's got John Voight, uh, Michael Caine, and Goofy in it. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, and uh, John Voight travels on a. A magical bed that he twists the 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 bed knob on and uh, f- hunts the Nazis or something. I think I think that's what it's about anyway. So you really made us wait for the one. word knob then. Yeah, you know. <laughs> um, we... Oh, also, I watched Green Lantern with Ryan Reynolds, oh. and um, I demand a full appra- reappraisal of that movie. It was it was quite good. <laughs> it was quite good. It was on, uh, I don't know. Well, anyway, it was on the, you know, it was on the menu. It was presented to me by a streaming service. And uh, I was like, yeah, I should watch that. Let's see what if it's, if it's terrible or not. And um, no, actually, it's, it's kind of great. <laughs> it's kind of like, you know, some of the CGI needs a bit of a touch up, but uh, it's a pretty good movie. He's a uh, Ryan Reynolds is quite good, isn't it? I mean, not as good as like Van Wilder, or it's not those sort of off the worthy levels. But <laughs> well, I mean, are you, are you trying to slowly introduce us to your pick? But your no, your, no, no, I'm not. <laughs> nothing to do with it. But um... before they knew it, sixty minutes um, in, the entire podcast had suddenly become about the Green Lantern. <laughs> Just about Green Lantern. <laughs> It was oh, good. I re- honestly, go and watch it again. It's like scary villains, decent characters, Blake Lively, all sorts of stuff going on in there. What more could you actually want from a yeah. film? <laughs> in the interest of moving on, let's move on to the matter at hand. Please, God, move on. <laughs> right, okay. So, in this, mini, uh, in this mini podcast series... The team will take it in turns to pick a film they used to love for a brief period of time, but they now feel they've grown out of. Uh, the other hosts will then pick an element of the film they too find embarrassing or visible and interrogate the host about it, destroying their character and possibly the very reputation of the film itself, apart from Matt, who is clearly embarrassed by nothing. Then, at the end, we all have to pick one thing each we like about the film, and we'll rate the film out of 10 and definitively conclude whether it should be cast away forever into the same landfill containing Guy Ritchie's cast away or rescued from insignificance and placed alongside Nicholas Rogue's insignificance. That was a long walk to get there. And I'm sorry. This week, <laughs> <laughs> this week, it's my honour to pick the film we discuss. And that film is, I'm sorry to say, 
Kevin Smith's second film, the 1995 comedy Mole Rats. Dude, this looks like your mom. Bye bye, Easter Bunny. There is no Easter Bunny! You know about this game show thing they got going on here? Well, we need you guys to somehow ensure that it doesn't happen. Truth or date? Second suitor, would you ever make Whoopi in public? Uh, I, I think that's kind of personal. I don't think I should answer that. Mall rats. You said it was a good size. When a girl says it's a good size, it's a nice way of saying that it's small. What else did you expect from the director of Clerks? Hey! Clerks came out in 1994. Uh, I was 14 and I adored it. Uh, I was obsessed by it, maybe. Uh, and I found it really inspiring. Um, I don't think I would have attempted to make my own no budget dick joke heavy film when I was in college, uh, along with one or two other people uh, on this call, without having watched Clerks first. Uh, I would even go so far to say it's an important movie, too. Uh, in 2019, Clerks, or Clarks, if you're a fan of pronouncing stuff wrong, was selected for preservation in the National Film Registry, as it's deemed culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant, which is impressive for a film uh, where the cast can barely act, the camera work is just about competent, and it contains the line, <laughs> ass-worshipping rim-jobbers. Uh, sadly, this isn't about Clerks, this is about Mall Rats, which followed a year later in 1995, um, to put, it, put that into context, I would have been 15 in my final year of school and clearly hungry for more uh, Kevin Smith brand of explicit humour and, and really obvious nerdy references. Um, I think at the time I knew that more rats bombed at the US box office and the critics set it on fire like the <laughs> bag of shit it is. Um, and I remember it being released straight to video, which even then I knew was a bad sign. Um, I will admit that um, it wasn't that I didn't like it the first time I watched it, but I was definitely disappointed. And I don't think I watched it that much until I went to college and all of my cool new friends who were into skateboarding and comics and had long hair and listened to the same bands uh, that are on the Mallrat soundtrack, funnily enough, uh, they loved Mallrat. They loved it. And we would watch it pretty often. And I think through college and hanging out with those guys and, you know, being 16, 17 or 18, uh, it just developed into this cult thing like Idle Hands or Go or other underdog slacker comedies that would shine so bright during your formative years that you would then never watch again after that initial period of shininess. Uh, until you've made to watch it again by a podcast 20 years later. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, Christ. Uh, so I watched it again a couple of nights ago, and it was really tough. Uh, it was, it's awful. I also remembered that I probably watched more Rats with Kevin Smith's audio commentary on more times than I watched the actual film, which I think even Kevin Smith would admit says more about his talents as a, as a storyteller or a raconteur than an actual filmmaker. Um, but yeah, it's just, uh, it's just embarrassing. 
I knew I'd grown out of it by the time I hit my 20s, but I don't think I was quite prepared for how grueling it was to watch it as a 40-year-old. 40, 40 um, I've got a bunch of notes, but I don't want to take too much away from <laughs> everyone else's attacks. I know Catherine's hungry to, to launch one. But uh, I think the most damning things on re-watching are it's just not funny, like profoundly not funny. And it's odd because I went back and I double checked clerks and even if the humour is quite dated or too crass, there's a pretty solid joke structure to every joke, you know, it it works, but in more rats it's just badly choreographed slapstick with just really offensive dialogue that doesn't have any wit or charm. It's just slut shaming or like jokes at the expense of lesbians and it's all delivered by one awful man who can't act and another awful man who angrily screams every line of dialogue and leans in way too close to the other actors um and also like it's a comedy that talks about a girl dying alone in a swing pool in the opening two minutes <laughs> like it's not, it's not the best basis of a, of a rip roaring you know hilarious film uh anyway uh i've got other notes but i'll let you guys take the floor i'll just finish by saying this is this podcast is meant to be about films you've grown out of rather than bad films per se and i'm truly embarrassed that i like this and there's a large part of me that wishes that i hadn't picked it and gone for something a bit less uh, retrograde so you wouldn't think less of me but then in a way, this is the perfect movie for this topic because it sums up how awful 15-year-old boys are and I am thankful to be embarrassed by that. I'll jump in here. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> what a surprise. <laughs> Catherine, you have the floor. Um, I think I'll start with the fact that I have... I was never... I certainly wasn't 15 when this film came out. What did you say? 1980, 1995? 1995, yeah. Yeah, that makes me eight. Um, mm. So I certainly wasn't into it at the time. And I can't really recently remember watching any Kevin Smith films. My introduction to Kevin Smith was my brother, who is a more similar age to you, Christopher, and loves mm. Kevin Smith. And I do sometimes listen to his podcast, Batman on Batman. And... Um, it's interesting to hear that now and look back at Mallrats where he still makes like continuous dick jokes. Like mm. he must be in his forties, fifties and it's like every third sentence is a dick joke, but it's kind of, you let it go because um, I don't think he's, is a dick. He's like quite a, you know, quite an interesting guy to listen to. He's got a lot of knowledge, got a lot of love. He's really soppy, which I quite enjoy. I don't know if anyone's seen him crying along to episodes of the flash. It's quite in theory. Um, but I just hated, hated this movie so much. <laughs> I, I really struggled to find any... I'm sorry. I was like, me and Christopher generally share similar tastes, but I just couldn't find a single redeeming feature about it. We all know that I accidentally watched the director's cut. <laughs> 35 minutes longer than the original <laughs> Which was uh, a special level of cruel. Yeah, can can, can you explain? Because I only watched the uh, the the original cut, but like, what happens at the beginning of the director's cut? Because I, I saw some messages back and forth, and I was like, "This sounds weird." Like, I feel like we need to put this into context. Um, so there is a director's cut that was released like ten years after 
which is on some like anniversary DVD, and it's thirty. Did you say thirty-five minutes longer than the original <laughs> version? And some none of us had any. Yeah, none of us had any idea this existed, and we shared. <laughs> one of us shared around a copy of the film. Uh, uh, for us all to watch for this podcast, and Catherine was the first, clearly the first person to watch it. <laughs> and I'll let you uh, tell the rest of the story, Catherine. Yeah, I mean, not only that, I don't think I've ever actually watched Morgrats before, so I was probably the worst place person to watch this version because it didn't occur to me that it wasn't the correct version. Uh, but honestly, uh, and obviously, it means also that I can't tell you the specific dif- differences, although we did have a look on the Wikipedia page, but. The intro to the film is so long and nothing of interest happens. There's like Michael Rooker like fawning over the legs of some politician in a really creepy and unnecessary way. And part of the plot is the the main guy gets a loaded musket caught in the hair of his girlfriend. And then they think he's trying to shoot a politician. Is that familiar to anyone else who watched the no, Because none of us watched it. <laughs> and that lasts like 15 minutes. But this is the reason why why her dad hates TS so much, right? Because he, in this yeah. deleted scene, TS tries to shoot the, the governor of New Jersey or whoever it's That's right. While he's trying to sell her on his TV show, which also Essentially, doesn't make any sense. It creates a giant plot hole at the beginning of the film because they just cut it and they don't. It, it just yeah. they don't replace it, but it is mentioned two or three times later and forms the basis of some like character motivation. So just by losing it, and thank God they did lose it because it's by all accounts, Catherine, it's terrible and pointless. The funny thing about it was um, much. I ended up watching it in a series of. Uh, series of stints about 20 minutes each because uh, I had to go out for my afternoon constitutional with my wife because we were in lockdown and scheduled <laughs> uh, so I watched basically that intro up to at about the point where um, he gets dumped or whatever and uh, the rest of the film is really offensive but the worst thing about that beginning bit is it's so fucking boring it's so <laughs> dull I've never been less interested in a film in my entire life and it really I really had to push myself to turn it back on again <laughs> after that I mean, it sounds like it's got everything, like someone trying to assassinate a governor and, you know, like a, a, a political scandal, it sounds a bit like. I mean, like, why? It sounds better than Morat. No, but... inexplicably, it's so fucking boring. It made me want to cry. <laughs> so to put it into context, that means that in the original cut of Morats, it takes them 30 minutes to get to the fucking mall. I can only... I can only apologise. Um... Yeah, that's a but Catherine raises a good point. Like, <laughs> she found it irredeemable. Did anyone else find it vaguely redeemable? I was thinking, I don't know. I mean, I've got a few a few thoughts about this <laughs> movie as well, having re-seen it. Um, it was funny that you know you were saying earlier that you used you, your introduction to it was at college and you had friends who were into that kind of stuff, right? And I was just kind of I was thinking about you know you've got like. Brody, his character, Jason Lee, in in here. And he's kind of like, he's comic book reading and he makes all these references to that kind of stuff, right? Which um, I was probably into as well at the same time. Um, but, I mean, in order to get that, I think like part of, maybe part of its cult appeal was the fact that 
1995, hardly anyone knew what a Wolverine's Berserker Rage was, right? Um, so, do you think that you, you've grown out of it because the elitism of it has gone now and everyone knows who Wolverine is now? And that, you no, know, do you think I that's don't. What's changed and that's why you've grown out of it? Or? So that's interesting. Um, I've grown out of it because I find it absolutely <laughs> abhorrent in its outlook. And, I mean, it literally. Uh, and I don't. It, and oh god, so many rape jokes. To speak to speak to the comic book thing, that is interesting because it is like what twelve years before Iron Man is released, and so actually, how many people would recognise Stanley? So when. <laughs> So when Jason Lee bumps into Stan Lee, who he's obsessed by, and doesn't recognise him, he it, doesn't it even feels absolutely... Yeah. yeah, so like it feels unbelievable. But yeah, you're right, in the context of now, that feels unbelievable to us. But actually, at the time, is would that be true? And yeah, you're right, actually, maybe not many cannot... people would know who Wolverine is and know that that was his berserker mm. rage. So that is a that is a good point, but also I think that's so minor. I feel like it's you know like that's Brody's the character of Brody. That's why people maybe rented it and why it became a cult. But that's film, the worst know, thing about him is like he he like he has. Oh, the, I'm not defending him. He's no no I know, but I'm just saying like I totally agree that like he's got this sort of really in depth nerdy knowledge that people at the time wouldn't have. But he's so fucking unlikable he's not at all and like the kind of implication is that people that like comic books are that kind of horrible nerdy idiot like dickhead that are like referencing the things they like to make everyone else sort of feel bad about themselves and he's just so angry like why is he so angry through the whole thing he's angry about changes to the mall why does he give a shit about the mall why he's so angry when he's like <laughs> Shout, the bit the, the, the bit where he's shouting at Shanna Doherty in the lift before he basically jumps on her. Jesus Christ! What the hell gives it the cover, boy? None of your damn business, but he'll probably kick your ass if he knows what you just pulled. Are you insane? The guy looks like a date rapist! Is that my jacket? Brody, start the elevator. No, not until you tell me what the situation is with you and the Sperminator out there. How long has this been going on? Since I finally mustered the good sense to send you packing. He's a much more suitable companion than you any day. Are you nuts?! The guy's pure testosterone. He's a walking hard on, just like a girl. I'm in need of testosterone after a year babysitting you and your comic book collection. I forgot what real men were like. I can't believe you had the nerve to come to my mall and pick up guys. Oh, no, no, no. Shannon did the picking up. It's just horrible. It's really, it makes you feel really icky. And yeah, it's played out as like a really grand romantic kind of, um, you know, really like, you know, triumphant moment. I mean, both the guys are losers and kind of lost their their girlfriends for because they're crap. Basically. Yeah, but or, then <laughs> win them back by being crap. By being so, crap, yeah. Thank you, Jogan. Yeah. So I just just building on that point that Matt was making about the the comic book side of things. I one thing that really stuck home with me was the Star Wars references. That to me now they feel really sort of. Uh, just lazy and like everyone knows that you know, Star Wars is embedded in popular culture right at the time and I remember this like it kind of took me back to that time that Christopher was talking about that was like Star Wars was still very much counterculture I think um so I don't know kind of just like yeah it kind of worked then but now it just doesn't it's just lazy yeah so it, it feels, feels like, like yeah like it's aged but in a 
but in a different way to like, uh, um, you know, like nine. If you go and watch like She's All That, right? That's like so nineties so and so embedded in the nineties that this feels like it's. I don't know, like it's called, yeah, it's references have aged in a different way to I mean it is still aggressively nineties though. I mean there 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 is there is nineties all over this. It is it is hard nineties. You you could you could <laughs> you if if you wanted to show someone a cultural artifact that like <laughs> to be described as aggressively nineties, wouldn't you? <laughs> Cornrows and a hypercolour t shirt. <laughs> None of the references or anything like that does age it, but like that, none of that's like offensive. Or I don't think it really like maybe to to you guys that saw it at the time, it like has a more feeling of the film or creates the film in your mind in a certain way. But like the problem with me is that it's just so unlikable. Like he's take it in any context you like, he's absolutely unlikable. And like Joe says, like he's they lose their girlfriends because they're dicks. And they gain the back by being dicks, and like none of it's redeemable. Like whether that's set now or then, take all the references you like out of it. The, the plot is: Dick is a dick, loses his girlfriend, behaves like a dick, gets his girlfriend back for no apparent reason. Um, um, the, the 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 scene in the lift with Jason Lee and Sharon Doherty, because mm. that's that's when I, on this second watching where I just lost it, because it is like you've said to two fourteen-year-olds have an argument like adults. <laughs> but they've got no frame of reference for what adults argue about. So they just have an argument about comic books and video games and, and then, and then have sex. And it, 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 I I was like, and it's so obviously a set as well, which, which kind of brought me entirely out of it. Cause to that, I mean, to that point, I, I wasn't exactly buying the whole situation, but that's when I finally thought, Oh God, you know, this is, this is actually quite terrible. You know, like, yeah, clerks is like all about, the script and the dialogue and it's like yeah there's like there's like maybe three camera angles in that whole movie <laughs> and this kind of thing right and so i don't know it's like all of kevin smith's stuff is obviously super scripted and and the dialogue's really written very carefully uh and it feels like he's sort of like the, the strong point of clerks is that like you know it's not really a movie about anything a couple of guys hang out and stuff happens around them and this is like Morats is like the same thing, but it's sort of it's like it's been forced to have a plot. So um, on that, I uh, I I read a uh, I was reading a Roger Ebert. Are we going to say it like that? We're going to say it like that. Roger Ebert uh, review. Mm. Um, and I'm not actually that familiar with clerks, 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 whatever. Just to be clear, but it's uh, he was saying uh, that he finishes re- review and he says the year that clerks played at Cannes. I was the chairman of the panel discussion of independent filmmakers. Most of them talked about their battles to stay free from Hollywood's play-safe strategies, but Kevin Smith cheerfully said he'd happily do whatever the studios wanted if they'd pay him for his films. And he said, at the time, I thought he was joking. Which I think is kind of like, it does feel a bit like Clerks has just been pressed through the sieve of a a studio. And they've said, yeah, Mm. but you need to have a plot and you need to have this. And, And it's come out just this horrible mesh of the two. That doesn't really I work. suppose it's it is like you know if, if it's his first it's the first time he's been given a big bunch of cash <laughs> right so maybe yeah. he's trying to be a, you know a good boy and so they won't take it away from him but mm. yeah the, the two things don't really work 
Then there's a line of dialogue, though, that uh, Jeremy London says, and it's when they're coming back from the crappier mall after they've had that scene with the the um, the, the, the fortune teller with oh the three god. nipples. Mm. And he says uh, something like, um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, oh, my God. That's a whole other discussion. Uh, but he said um, he can't touch us um, once the cameras start rolling or something because um, he'll lose the, the face of, uh, towards the network execs. And I thought, oh, my God, is this Kevin Smith realising that he, he's just got to keep going with this thing? To, to to please the execs i thought that was some kind of like meta humor in there but um i i i thought that was that kind of summed up the whole experience for me that the camera's just got to keep rolling and yeah. they're going to hope that there's something at the end of it <laughs> i can't really i wish i could put it into a context of like later films though because like again going back to chasing amy or dogma like how does it compare to either of those films i haven't seen those for like quite some time but have any of you watched any of his got later films plaudits for chasing amy right i entered the criterion collection <laughs> well there you go i mean it's <laughs> but uh, yeah maybe i don't know is it a progression of him being allowed to do more of what he wanted i don't know but yeah, yeah. this just feels like you know like it's got the the one traditional boy wins girl plot and then it's got all this random stuff about yeah about star wars wedged in on top of it basically yeah because i mean he's not an auteur in the sense of you know a distinctive visual style yeah, I mean, auteur means that he has complete creative freedom, but the trouble is with Kevin Smith is I don't think he's got any mm. creativity beyond putting some fruity dialogue in people's mouths. Like, that's it. Um, and, you know, that's probably why he's a much more competent and prolific podcaster than he is a successful filmmaker. Jump, jumping off the language thing, the, the you know, the R-bomb. My goodness. Like, I oh, yeah. have not heard that word for ages in, in civilized company I'll, and I'll, it's thrown around like any other word the one where they're like the r-bomb for each other i was like that's barely a sentence like let alone being horribly just horrible really unpleasant <laughs> but it's like every other word in some in some scenes i'm like yeah. whoa I, I forgot this word had power like i was just going to say that 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 whole storyline of the 15 year old girl doing research um into men's sexual preferences and then that ending up being how the, the sting that gets Ben Affleck's character it just feels like that's an example of Kevin Smith having an idea that he wants to build a whole kind of narrative around and it's just actually it's a bit of a shit idea it's, it's kind of underpinned with being a bit a bit sleazy and a bit fucked up and yet he seems to have built the entire film around it and there seems to be quite a few examples of that it's it's just so poor. Yeah, I think uh, he uses sleazy and fucked up as a as a as a crutch. That's that. Those are like his. Uh, it's funny because it's sleazy. It's funny because it's fucked up, rather than actually writing jokes or you know any kind of semblance of a plot. I mean, Clerks is plotless, but at least it works as a comedy, and this does neither. I think I've always had that thing. I think we've talked about it before, Christopher and Jerry, but like um, The Simpsons versus Family Guy, whereas like. Um, it's a lot harder to be funnier at 5pm or 6pm or whatever The Simpsons watch than it is to be just, like, really inappropriate, like, the kind of humor that Family Guy goes for, if you know what I mean? And I feel like Kevin Smith sort of leaned on this kind of, like, oh, when I'm out there, it's inappropriate, but it's not... 
it's not good writing at all. It's just like leaning on the fact that it's a bit outrageous, but it's just aged really badly. Well, if we've learnt nothing from South Park, which blended the two perfectly, it's that Family Guy is written by manatees in a bull pit. <laughs> <laughs> that sums up Kevin Smith quite nicely in the 90s. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, does anyone have any final thoughts that they would like to get off their chest? I, I I feel like we've kind of we've kind of piled in hard on it, but I, if you take it away from like it, it is a it is a film and a and a commodity. If you take it away, it's kind of like a cultural artifact, not to give it so much grandeur. But the mall is you know a really important part of American mythology, and you know it is where the teenagers go to hang out when they're depressed or when they have got nothing to do. And you know I'm, I'm sure that you know maybe Jean Beauregard has said something about you know the, the clerks and 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 uh potentially even more rats and i think it, it's it's an interesting kind of way of looking at american culture if you really wanted to to make it sound good i think you're giving no. far more <laughs> credit than no it is it? but i did part really of this podcast i did say please try and find one redeemable thing <laughs> So Teddy, I'm impressed. Um, uh, one redeemable thing. I um I enjoyed the really pathetic subplot of the guy that couldn't see the magic eye. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I thought that was fine. Really overall, really inoffensive, which was my favourite thing about it. Um and um Stanley came across as really likable, which I think he probably was. Yeah, I can relate. There was a time when it was all about comics for me. You know, I, I had a girl probably the same as yours. She always complained that I spent too much time with my own comics. And uh, eventually we broke up. See, what did she know? Here you are now, a legend in the field. Probably had a slew of women since her, am I right? Oh, lots of women. Jagger and me, we had a running contest to see who had the most. Matter of fact, last time I looked, I was way ahead. Damn, that's hot! But I never forgot that girl. Well, did you ever get back together with her? One day I found out she got married. I had blown it. I had uh, missed my window. That leads into my redeemable thing about it, which is uh, that if it wasn't for mall rats, uh, there wouldn't be the really good, satisfying Stan Lee cameo in uh, Captain Marvel, which is actually a really lovely moment and maybe my favourite Stan Lee cameo in any in any uh, MCU film. Yeah, so Moon Rats is part of the MCU. Yeah. Or... No. <laughs> yes. uh, oh, God, yeah. No, it's not. <laughs> no, he's he's on his way. No, no, no. The making of Moon Rats is part yeah. of the MCU. That's exactly right, yes. <laughs> um, I don't know. I think it, my only thought was, just in the context that we're recording this in, is that people aren't going to shopping centres or malls at the moment. And increasingly, <laughs> probably won't. Like, it'll be on the lunch, I think. So the whole premise of this is going to die in the past. And yeah, but the whole idea of more rats might die and be forgotten about. People look back at that movie and go, "What the fuck is that?" Okay, right. Let's wrap this up. Uh, <laughs> I think we all can all agree that this should be uh, left in the past and never resurrected again. Um, do you want to give a score out of 10? One minus negative a billion. <laughs> <laughs> I 
anyone want to give it a billion to bring it back up to zero? What's 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 the kind of scale? What's the yardstick for this so far? Because I mean, this is the first one, so you know, what, what are we judging it on? And I think, well, this will be the this will be the benchmark, won't it? I mean, I guess this this will be the benchmark. Okay. I guess if we took okay, so we're talking about films. Uh, the premise of this podcast is that these are films that you've grown out of. Okay, these are films that you liked for a brief period of time that you've now mm. grown out of. So I guess the scale is one. Yes, you're absolutely right. You should be ashamed of liking this. <laughs> it should never be brought up again, and you should wear it <laughs> as a badge of disgrace around your neck for the rest of your life. To ten, what are you talking about? It's as good as godfather too uh so there you go <laughs> it's better than some bits of godfather 3 i'll say that for you. Uh, fair uh i'm just gonna weigh in literally one to zero i i feel like i'm the least that was ever going to be impressed by this movie having not seen clark's recently enough to care and um i just really i really hated it Everything about it. Sorry. I feel horrible about it, but one, zero, <laughs> negative opinion. Um, I'm going to say I'm going to give it a two out of ten. I'm not sure why it's not a one, but it just feels... It's it's so awful. But as a 15-year-old, I, I kind of liked it. It's kind of weird. Like, I completely empathise with Christopher on this one. Like, it's reprehensible now. And that's a terrible thing to think about what our views were or complete lack of thoughtlessness at the age of 15, 16. But yeah, we actually yeah. watched it. That's where, that's where I come from, I think. Um, but I also feel like I sort of went through that same journey. And at the end, I realised that I'm actually quite relieved that I am embarrassed by it and that I don't still like it, <laughs> you know, which is hopefully for yeah. the best. Uh, Matt, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a four, which is generous. Um, Very generous. Because yeah, <laughs> because yeah, when you watch it again now, it like there is a lot to dislike. I think yeah, you know, you have to be in the mindset, like you say, of a teenage boy who um, all of the things that you like, all of the comic books you read and all that kind of thing the whole world looks down on you for and it's very counterculture and out there and at the time it's it was good to have films coming out that you know that celebrated some of that in some ways and had characters that enjoyed those things but for the actual content of the movie i think it's got to be a like a minus two <laughs> so what's that even out as one? <laughs> there we go. Yeah, nice, nice. Split the difference. <laughs> T- Ted, have you scored? No, because I, I, I'm I'm struggling with this one because I I know that Kevin Smith is you know kind of her- heralded as the you know the king of nerddom, but I've I've never really liked it, what he does. So this to me was just kind of a it was it was a bit of a well that's what he does film and I can see all of the points that we've made and why it potentially isn't very good now but I, I take every what everyone says on board previous to it you know if I'm sure if I was fifteen when this came out I love it and I think it was the best thing ever and I I couldn't wait to watch it again I can imagine 
But, I, I, you know, I, I, um, but I, yeah, now, obviously, watching it, I'm a bit like, it's it's not even a good film. So all of the bad things I, I don't really get emotional about. But, you know, I'd, I'll give it I'll give it a two. Wow. Okay. So uh, I'm going to give it a one. Uh, so by my <laughs> calculation, that's minus a billion plus about six. <laughs> so I'll let someone else do the maths on that. I hate to, to go over your thing, but I, I forgot the, like, secret thing about me. Um 30 something year old lesbian is that I do have a little bit of a thing for Ben Affleck and I'm okay with it. <laughs> I probably didn't know if we enter into the spirit of honesty with this podcast. Like, yeah, I do fancy him a little bit and I always did. And it probably was off the back of Armageddon, which, because I'm a bit younger than you, was probably the more rats of my generation. I don't know. Um, and I think the worst thing about more rats is it really made me hate Ben Affleck. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I just really wanted to tell you all about that. <laughs> I thought you that's fine. It's a, um, it's a good admission, and we really appreciate your honesty. Yeah, <laughs> I wrote three notes about this film, and one of them yeah. was the last one I wrote was how the hell did Ben Affleck have a career after this? Because exactly. <laughs> <laughs> everyone else yeah, in the film really uh, who you think that about didn't have a career after that film you've not heard of any <laughs> many of those people <laughs> but yet ben affleck somehow yeah, shone in this in his role <laughs> in order to draw this closed and once again thank you very much for uh, uh, enduring mall rats uh, with me um i owe you all two pound fifty uh youtube rental fee um the only thing left to do is to pick the film that we're watching next and i believe matt owen will be the host of next week's episode. So, Matt, would you like to t- reveal to the group the film that we'll be watching? I would. Um, or maybe I wouldn't. <laughs> uh, <laughs> my film is a, a comedy that I loved as a child. Um, it's from 1984, which is a good year for comedy. Ghostbusters. This is Final Tap. Um... It's Police Academy. Oh, oh. wow. <laughs> Brilliant. All right. And, All right um, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Thanks, Matt. Uh, Please Academy 1, just to reiterate. <laughs> not Please Academy 7. Please Academy uh, 1. Mission not to all Mission Miami Beach. Yeah. Um, if there are any really good like director's cuts around. Um... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Criterion edition is uh, well worth seeking out, I'm sure. All right, fantastic. Uh, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, thank you to Catherine. And again, apologies to Catherine. Thank you to Teddy. Thank you to Matt. And thank you to Joe Kim. Uh, this has been the Methods and Sound podcast. Um, We'll be back next week where Matt Owen will discuss why he loved Police Academy so much and what he thinks about it now. Good night.